RadioInfluence.com. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Sitting Ringside. My name is David Penzer, and as always, we are so happy that you are here to listen to this thing we call a podcast. And what a podcast we have this week. Uh, a man who does very few, if no, podcasts, and an old friend of mine, uh, Van Piro. What a story he has, and I didn't even realize until we got to talking uh, about it, I didn't even realize how complex his story is. Uh, the ups and the downs and the goods and the bads, and, you know, uh, it's, it's a very interesting story, and he's brutally honest about everything in the wrestling business. So hang on very shortly. We're going to get to that. I do want to say that while it... Progressed absolutely no stories towards SummerSlam. Uh, as uh, my boss, P- Jerry Petuck, just pointed out, uh, I enjoyed the Raw reunion. Uh, I watched it on TV. Um, I was trying to decide whether to watch the Rays game or the Raw reunion, and the Rays gave up uh, seven runs in the second inning to the uh, to the uh, Red Sox, so they made that decision very easy for me. And uh, it was fun to watch, and the, the, the part at the end with Hogan and Flair and Stone Cold and all that, uh, very fun as well. A lot, it was cool to see the click uh, together and give it a little, 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 little rub to uh, Seth Rollins um, and to the OGs, I guess, as would be their names. Uh, the new click with uh, uh, AJ Styles as the leader. But I, I thought it was fun. Uh, you know, they were just there to pop a rating. But I thought, you know, there's been a lot of these reunions that it were, wasn't so f- interesting. And you kind of like left, you were kind of left rolling your eyes going, is that all there is? So I thought this one was uh, for the for, for what it is, which is a three-hour nostalgia ride combined, you know, in, in between a wrestling event. I thought it was fun and enjoyed it. Um so, uh, before we get to Vampiro, just want to mention, if uh, you don't follow me on Twitter, be sure to follow me at David Penzer. At Penzer Ringside is the site, the show site's handle, so to speak. And uh, if you like what you're hearing, uh, be sure to tell your friends and family, spread the word, uh, subscribe, and leave a review if you can. And without further ado, an interesting story and a brutally honest guy. And those always combine for some fun and entertaining uh, podcasts. And my guest this week is the one and only Vampiro. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome this week's guest. He is a Mexican wrestling legend and uh, almost was the centerpiece of a company called the XWF. What could have been, what could have been. Uh, and you've seen him also in WCW, TNA, and heard him in Lucha Underground. I'm talking about my old friend Vampiro. Ian, how you doing, sir? Hey, brother. How you doing, man? It's so, it was so good to see you a few weeks ago, and it's awesome to be talking to you. Yeah, same here. Absolutely. Same here. So we usually, you know, we chat, tell some stories on the podcast, talk about your career, which we want to do. And I usually start at the beginning, but uh, I I want to start at the end right now, if if we can, or the current. Um, I saw something online, so I'm hoping it's not true, but I wanted to ask you about it, that you had some sort of Alzheimer's uh, prognosis. Yeah, uh, I was dying. I've been struggling uh, 
It actually started in uh, Halloween Havoc in Las Vegas. Um, and I think it was 1999 or 2000. I don't remember. But I suffered uh, a, a very bad injury in a, in a match. And uh, I, I wasn't diagnosed until about a month after with a major concussion. But I just kept getting hit in the head and uh, taking headshots and crazy bumps and all those kind of things. And it just kind of accumulated. And then about three years ago, I just... I couldn't understand the, the depression. I couldn't understand the memory loss. I couldn't understand uh, why I couldn't communicate anymore. I couldn't understand why um, I was having a hard time being in public. I was starting to be uh, very unaccessible to the fans. And, and, and I, I just, it just started building and building. And then the, I had a stroke um, in November last year. And I, I got checked out and, and that was stress related. And then I just started doing tests and I went to a neurologist and we did a brain scan. And uh, he was, the doctor was like, why are you shaking? And I said, uh, I don't know. And then and, and we did all these tests and it came out that I'm in the first stages of Parkinson's and the first stages of Alzheimer's. And uh, the doctor said, if I didn't come here to the US, which I moved to Las Vegas at the end of April, March, April, no, uh, February, end of February to start treatment to kind of slow the, because you can't really cure it just yet. But he said, you're right at the right point to start treatment. And if you start this now, it's going to drastically reduce the onset of these things. And uh, it was extremely scary. It was very hard to, to accept it. Uh, and, but I, I've been doing the therapy and, and doing the, the program and it's working. I have my ups and downs. It's, it's, it's very, very difficult. Um, because you know, you portray this persona in wrestling. Like this is my 37th year in the professional wrestling industry. Wow. And you portray this superhuman guy or, you know, you're around superhumans and, and we're not. And unfortunately with wrestling, it's like having an upside down pyramid. And uh, we become these these big guys, but then at the end of the day, as time goes on, we fall apart. And um, if I didn't do this, I think I would have been dead by now. That's what they told me. Oh my God! Well, it's good thing. Yeah, you, it was pretty serious. Good thing you got it taken care of, and and, and best of uh, best of luck to you, man. Uh, th- so uh, it's awesome, though. It's it's it's, a, it's the most awesome thing in the world <laughs> because I don't have any memory and I don't remember things, so I'm always happy. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Like I play the same PlayStation game over and over, and every time it's new. But then I you totally but, am cool with it. But then you don't learn like the <laughs> cheat. You don't learn how to cheat and stuff like that. Yeah, but who cares, man? Get it ten minutes later, anyways. So let <laughs> me ask you a question. Know what's going on. So, like, if we to, do, you have long term memory? Are we cool about talking about you know, uh, you know, breaking in and all that stuff? I thought you were going to say when we were boyfriend and girlfriend yeah. in high school. But, no, yeah, I'm okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, it comes and goes, bro. You know what I mean? But, yeah, we can do anything, man. And, well, uh, yeah, if I, if I remember it, I'll tell you. But I'm sure your <laughs> questions will, will, will provoke things. Good to, good, to, good to hear you have a sense of humor about it, man. And my thoughts are with you for sure. I didn't know that when I saw you when we were chatting. But uh, I'm glad you get it taken care of for sure. So, uh, Thank you. Were you a were you a, a fan growing up? I'm assuming you grew up in uh, uh, Ontario, correct? Yeah, well, I grew up in a small town called Thunder Bay, Ontario. It's about seven hours from Minneapolis and about a thousand miles north of Toronto and a thousand miles south of Winnipeg. So it's in the middle of nowhere. And uh, 
I'll never forget the day that I, I used to watch it on TV. Of course, we, the AWA, because we were so close to Minneapolis, but there was a moment, man. And I'll never forget it when I just heard the beat of uh, Iron Man. And I saw these guys come out with the paint and the, and, and the, and the, and the bodies and the face paint. And it was the road warriors. And that, that was it. That, that was a hockey protege. I was selected to play on the, the junior Olympic team for Canada. I was drafted by the Montreal Canadians and I was on their farm team, which was Kingston back then in the Ontario hockey league. And it was like, I, I, I saw the sex pistols. I got into the Ramones and the clash and the stray cats and all these bands. And I was at that age and I was always a big kid and I was getting bored with, with organized sports. And I, I, I just, I don't know what happened. I got a tattoo and I started playing in a band and then I saw the road warriors and I was like, I can mix rock and roll and I can mix sports and do the two things I'm passionate about and, and get into professional wrestling. And when I was 14, I uh, ran away from home for a bit and uh, kind of joined the circus and just followed this wrestling company around and begged and begged and begged until they finally let me in. And that's kind of how it happened. What, what was the company? It was just an independent company that ran that area? Uh, no, man. <laughs> It was IWA, International Wrestling. Oh, Rougeau, right? Rougeau's Brody was there. The Samoans were there. Dino Bravo, Ric Flair, Stan Hansen. Uh, Hogan would come. This was before New York even. This was before WrestleMania. This was before when WWE was WWF. Their offices were in Toronto. Right. And they were just a you know, promotion around New York, the state of New York. And uh, so uh, when I broke in, Abdullah the Butcher, all those guys that I just mentioned, that's the dressing room that I was in when I was like 15. Wow. I was kind of educated by, by those dudes, Nick Bockwinkle, Tarzan Tyler, Frenchie Martin, all those guys. So that was my university. Wow. Uh, did, wrestling. Is there anyone specific that kind of took you under their wing and, and taught you the, the ropes or was it a community effort? Um, that was back in the day when kayfabe was huge yep and uh you know steve strong was really cool to me steve DeSalvo, rick martell was very nice to me uh not as nice as he was with tom zink but he was nice to me (laughs) did i just say that i think so um and uh (laughs) i'm kidding man but the road warriors were super cool because i was like hey man i ran away from home so i could be like you guys and uh, they were very cool. Everybody was cool to me because they did the typical thing. You know, they beat me up and they ribbed me and all those kind of things. And I just kept coming back and I didn't leave. And, um, you know, they used to put me in the matches as a job guy and they would beat the shit out of me. There's no other way to say it. And uh, I would always be the first guy in the dressing room to say, thank you so much. And uh, they just said, well, this kid's one of us. And it just kind of went from there. What was your wrestling character? Or did you just use your real name back then? No, I was like, you know, this was, this is the early eighties, mid eighties. And this is like, you know, you know, Japan and, and kayfabe and being stiff and being a tough guy. And I was like a skinny kid and I had pitch white spiky hair. And, uh, I looked a lot, a lot like Billy Idol. And I was like, you guys don't understand, man. There's nobody in wrestling that does rock and roll. And, I said, I got this punk rock thing going on. And they were like, shut up. <laughs> they just beat me up. And uh, yeah, so I was kind of like this Billy Idol character pretty much my whole life until uh, I got into other things. So that was it. I was uh, 
they called me Ian Richard. They called me, I forget, uh, some, some strange names. But I was always a, a rock and roll kind of kind of character because I grew up in the in the punk scene, right? So you know the Misfits and and Generation X and the Sex Pistols and all this kind of stuff was a huge huge part of my life, and I tried to incorporate it. But back then, uh, you know, if you thought WCW was full of hillbillies and rednecks who didn't understand anything, well, let's go back a couple of years before that, and uh, they got this kid wearing eyeliner coming into the dressing room, and they didn't know if they were gonna sexually assault me or beat me up. <laughs> hey, this has nothing to do with anything, but on a side note, there's a, no, on a side note, there's a, uh, there's a movie about the guy who owned, I think it was CBGB's in New York and uh, gave all the punk uh, bands their first break. Have you seen it? Not yet, but I was there. I was there for a lot of CBGB stuff, but I know about the movie. I haven't seen it, but I, I spent a lot of time there. I saw a lot of shows there and uh, it's just sad that now it's a hamburger stand in the LAX airport and uh, it's full of yuppies and preppies and it's got nothing to do with what happened in New York. Yeah, so, well, my my, my, no, my, yeah. my sister and brother-in-law live in the Ch- uh, Chelsea Hotel in the, uh, the top floor. My brother, no way. Yeah, my brother-in-law's lived there since he was a kid. His mom, do you ever see the picture of the Chelsea Hotel, the famous picture where like all the celebrities are like, like sort of out on the patio, but, but they're, they're not like, yeah, yeah. My, my, my brother-in-law's mom painted that picture. You're kidding me. No, I swear to God. So, uh, so, but, that's, but that's insane, it man. got, it got bought about five years ago and they're totally redoing it. And like you said, it's going to be rooftop bar yuppies and, uh, and you know, they're just, it, it totally is going to lose, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's heritage, which is a shame. Um, because it is because yeah, there's a lot of people don't know this. I don't know if you can still do it, but like you used to be able to go there. And they've got all these things, like in a little mini museum, like a lost and found, when all these uh, weird drug-addicted characters from that era have left things, like Johnny Thunder's left a guitar, there's a Sid Vicious leather jacket, there's a Ramones this, there's that. There was like a little, not a Hall of Fame or a museum, but if you had it in, uh, they would show you all these relics, and it was like, God damn. I, I I don't know what's happened to all that stuff. That's so sad you're telling me that, man. Yeah. But geez, well, it is what it is, dude. It's rent controlled, so as long as somebody with a uh, direct relative of my brother in law is living there, uh it's a nice little place to it's a nice but still a nice place, a rooftop and they have a little uh a garden up on top. But you know, it, it, it like I said, and I don't want to get too off topic because it's a wrestling podcast, but uh it's lost just like CBGB's, it's lost its uh its heritage. I'll I'll have, to ask, yeah, yeah. I'll have to ask my brother-in-law about that, uh, like, Hall of Fame garbage can thing, because I'm sure if it was there, I'm sure that he he probably had stuff in there. But I could do a whole podcast. No I could do a, do a whole podcast on his crazy life, but God bless him. He has two young kids, and he's doing well. Anyway, so what – speaking of crazy, what – made a kid like you uh, head down to Mexico? Did somebody suggest it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Who suggested Yeah, they did because the one of the guys, and he at that time, he was the guy who uh, carried the ring and built the ring and sold all the, the merchandise. You got to remember, this is the early 80s, man. Merchandise was 8 by 10s Yep. Um, he was a, a wrestler, and he kind of adopted me. He's like my, my dad. 
and I lived in the ring truck for a year, and then he let me move into the basement of his home. He told me when the company was going, because Vince had signed Rick Martel right. and uh, all, pretty much all the crew, right? So the company kind of went bankrupt. And um, he said, you can try to go to Calgary. You can try to go to Japan, but they won't take you because you're just way too new. You can try to go to Memphis, but the best place to learn is go to Mexico. He gave me a number of the Arena Mexico and Mexico City, and he said, if you really want to learn, I mean, they wrestle every day, seven days a week, and they have a gym in the arena, and yep. that's where you got to go. And that's what happened. So, And how'd you get down there? Did you take a bus? No, I did a, a, an armed robbery. And uh, the, the statute of limitations is over, right? 30 years, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I just took that money. It wasn't much. I had a pack sack. I bought a one-way ticket. And I went there on New Year's Eve, 1989. And uh, I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. I slept on the street that night under, uh, you know, uh, by a statue. And uh, the next day I went looking for the Arena Mexico because I heard it was a gym. I didn't know anything. And I said, man, at least I can work out and take a shower. And uh, they, they saw me wandering around the parking lot with my leather jacket because, you know, I had been in Los Angeles working for different bands for a while. I had just finished working for Millie Vanilli, so I had that look, that long, yeah. you know, braided hair, and so I, I wanted to ask and, you about. Uh, I wanted to ask you about that real quick. So, is the gimmick to be sure. a bodyguard for Millie Vanilli? Is they pretend to sing and you pretend to guard them? I'm sorry, kid. I couldn't yeah, help it. Pretty much, I, I couldn't help it. No, uh, it's good. It's okay. No, I waited to. There was a lot more to it. I could tell you some bad stories that you'll probably not like me anymore. So, but yeah, that. I, well, armed robbery is pretty I, stiff, bro. <laughs> I didn't hurt anybody. There you go. And 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 there wasn't anybody there, so I don't know if it was really an armed robbery. I just kind of stole stuff. Oh, so so that makes it okay. There, well, not okay. Hey, if you're <laughs> if you're a young kid out there listening, it's not okay. But uh, better better than to- no. But hey, man, no. Listen, dude, I was living on the street. I was a street kid. I had no home. Uh, I was eating food out of a garbage can that, you know, I was, I had nothing. So I had to steal to eat. That's just the way it is. I'm not proud of it. When I do my speeches and all my stuff with the guardian angels and all that, I understand, you know, I'm not proud of it, but I don't hide from it. Just like my mental health issues. I'd rather just tell you, Hey, there's a way out and you can get, you can be better. Uh, it, it is what it is, dude. Yeah, not everybody's given a, a a great break, but it's what you make of the opportunity, man. There's there's a lot of stories like you that don't end, uh, you know, uh, being a rock star and uh, uh, literally practically a rock star in the country of Mexico. But uh, so before we get to that life and, and how fast you got over, uh, who's the first person you saw? Paco Alonso, I'm guessing. I met. Yeah, I met Paco. Rest in peace. Uh and he just kind of said, what are you doing here? <laughs> Who are you? And I said, well, I've come here for this reason. And, he's, and he just kind of chuckled. And he said, uh, well, welcome. He says, uh, I'll introduce you to our matchmaker and let's see what happens. And then that's when he introduced me to Antonio Pena, who uh, was at that time uh, the main guy doing all the character development and storylines for the Arena Mexico. And he saw me and he said, why do you have purple hair? And why does your jacket say Hollywood vampires? Where are you from? And this is all going through a translator. 
And I just said, I really like the Anne Rice books. And everybody in Hollywood right now is a vampire. And Guns N' Roses was just breaking out and L.A. Guns and Faster Pussycat and all these bands. And, and uh, he said, where are you from? I said, Canada. And he said, uh, you're Vampiro Canadiense. You're the Canadian vampire. That's who you are. And I said, okay. And that's how it happened. And how fast did you get over? Because uh, from what I, I remember hearing and reading, it was, it was almost instantaneous. It was weird, dude, because uh, he took me to the gym right there, and I went into the gym, and everybody stopped. You know, all these little Mexican macho dudes all buffed out and all, like, pro wrestlers, and I was just this skinny 20-year-old kid who was really tall and really white, and uh, he just, like, said, get into the ring, and I said, how? <laughs> I don't fucking know what I'm doing. Then he was like, just get in there and do something. So everybody was doing like moonsaults and all these Mexican high spots. And I just went in there and shook my hair. And he goes, that's it. I said, I just moved the hair out of my eyes. I said, don't do anything else. <laughs> and I said, well, and I, and I said, well, I paint my face. And he says, why? And I said, because I'm too shy, man. I don't know what I'm doing. And I get embarrassed and I don't want anybody to see me. And he says, don't. He said, let them see your face and don't learn how to wrestle. And I was like, well, then what am I supposed to do? He said, I don't know. Just go in the ring and let's see what happened. That was a Monday. The following Tuesday, I had my first match. I had no clothes. So I just had a pair of motorcycle boots and my, my black jeans. And I went in the ring and uh, everybody was, the place was packed, not because of me. And um, I just stood there. I didn't know what, the, what was going on. So I went in the ring and the baby faces, because I was a heel, because I looked like this monster, they started hitting me. So I fell to the floor because I didn't know how to take a bump. I didn't know how to hit the ropes. I didn't know how to, I didn't know what the hell was going on. And I went to the floor and the baby faces hit me. So I, I kind of fell on the floor. I guess I was trying to sell. And all of a sudden, all of the women jumped on top of me to protect me. And they started punching the baby faces. So I was like, oh, and then the match ended. It was a big thing. And I, I was so embarrassed and I went to the office the next day and I was like, oh man, I'm going to get, and I, I, was, I had tears in my eyes and I was apologizing and I was like, hey, I didn't mean to, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I, I don't understand any of this and I'm so, so sorry. And they said, and they, cause they got this report that the women were going out of their minds and that never happened before. So then they gave me another match the next day and the same thing happened. The place was mentally packed with women who had seen my photo on the TV on the news that this new guy had come into the country because at that same week, the government had lifted the ban on letting rock bands play after a decade or 15 years or something. So MTV was brand new and I looked just like everybody on MTV. So it happened again. And I came back to the office and they were like, are you causing trouble or what's the story with you? And I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. You guys are putting me in main events. I said, I came down here to kind of learn. So I've been here five days and you've already got me in two minutes. And now they said, well, guess what? And I said, what? And I said, you're in the semi-main event in the Arena Mexico TV Friday night. And I was like, please don't do that. Please, <laughs> please don't put me on TV. I was like, I don't even know what that. I said, I, I couldn't lock up with you if you paid me. I said, I don't know what I'm doing. And they said, just go in there. So I went in there and I tried to be this heel. And uh, it just started building. All of a sudden, the male audience stopped coming. And there was just these teenage girls. And then all of a sudden, these actresses and models started coming. 
And nobody. Hey, and, and by, by, like, by the way, I can think of worse problems to have, but co- go ahead. Yeah, well, and then it was kind of like I missed a high spot, and my partner, the heel, pushed me. When he pushed me, and this is like about a month in, that was it. The crowd went mental, and I never looked back. I went, and then I started wrestling four and five times a day, seven days a week for about five years, and it was only girls, only girls at the arena. That was it, and it was insane. So you, when you're 22, 23 years old, and you come from living on the street and having nothing, then all of a sudden you're dating models and actresses and singers, and you're working, and, the, and everywhere you go, people are fainting. It does something to your head, you know what I mean? I didn't know what the hell was going on. And, and I kept saying, can I please stay home one day? You guys got me. I can't, I, you know, I, I'm not sleeping. I'm working five times a day. And that's the truth. Every day, they actually hired Norman Smiley. And you can ask him. And he's such a pussy. He probably won't tell you because he's so <laughs> protective of his job up there. They hired him to make sure I would show up to the arenas. That's sort of like, sort of like, it's sort of like Pee Wee with the junkyard dog in 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 Louisiana. They hired Pee yeah, Wee Anderson, the referee. Yeah. Remember, they hired him to babysit J- yeah, JYD. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but we had different problems. I was busy with girls. He was busy with something else. Oh yeah. So you know, yeah. But that's what happened. It just is unexplainable because I begged and pleaded to learn how to wrestle, and they were like. The moment you learn how to wrestle, you're going to be like every other wrestler, and the girls won't like you anymore. He said, we want you to watch this Mexican movie star who died in the 50s. His name was Pedro Infante. He said he suffers through all his movies. There's always major trauma. He comes from the ghetto, but at the end, he always wins and sings, and then he goes with the girl. He said, that's you. Don't learn to wrestle. He says, as a matter of fact, you can't go to the gym anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That was it. Wow. Is so it, then after I, start, I started getting my ass kicked and then I joined, you know, boxing and Taekwondo just to defend myself because the guys were so jealous because of the girls, because of the money I was making, they started kicking my ass. So I had to defend myself. And that's kind of what happened, dude. So what's it like at, I mean, at 22 years old, 23 years old, being Elvis Presley, basically, in, 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 in uh, Mexico, and uh, it has to get to your head. I mean, there's no way it can't. It was horrible. It was. It oh, was, I feel so, was, I feel so was, bad for you, bro. Dude, it was horrible. It was horrible because it was fun. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. Some of the, I look at the pictures of the girls I dated and I'm like, holy fuck. How can I not remember that? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like these are these are not ten. These are twenty sevens. These are like oh my god, this is not happening. But then after a while, it was like I felt like a a, a prostitute. I just felt used. I, I nobody even knew my you know the girl. There were girls sleeping outside my apartment. There were girls crying. There were girls getting my image tattooed on their chest. There were there were, were girls. Sleeping outside my hotel room door, so I couldn't escape uh, and go and, not, and miss their show the next day. It was like this sucks. And then I was getting hurt, so I started taking sleeping pills to deal with the pain. Then I started taking amphetamines in the morning to get up to go to. It just became the worst time of my life. It was horrid. I was alone. I was depressed, and uh, it was brokenhearted because I was famous for all the wrong reasons, and it sucked. I hated it. I really did. 
You know, it's, it's very interesting to hear because everybody, you know, almost every guy, you know, looks and says, I wonder what it'd be like to, you know, to be uh, Justin Timberlake or Elvis Presley or Paul McCartney, you know, pick your, your decade, uh, you know, uh, having it, you know, having the world, you know, p- girls screaming and, 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 and by the way, that that's true stuff. I don't I don't want anybody to think that that's exaggeration because uh, I uh, have been friends with Norman Smiley longer than you know him, and Norman used to tell me the crazy stories about being with you, and and so uh, I just want everybody to know that, that that stuff that you're talking about is just, I don't know about the sleeping pills and all that, but the other stuff you're talking about with the girls following you around and stuff and working five days a week that's a shoot because I heard that stuff from Norman Smiley before I ever knew who you were. Yeah, dude. And, and the only reason I talk about sleeping pills and all that kind of stuff, because I don't hide from it. And all these young kids coming into this horribly politically bullshit, clicky business the way it is now. I mean, I, I'm trying to tell you, yeah, I did it and I fell from grace, um, but I also beat it. And and I'm very grateful for that, because as you well know, our generation, half of the guys aren't here anymore. Yeah. So I, I don't try to sugarcoat it and, and if you say hey you did I said, yeah yeah I, I fucked up of course i did i mean wouldn't you yeah so but i was smart enough and i really this is the honest of god truth and forgive me for getting off topic i believe so much in god i'm a very religious guy that um i i asked for help when i was at my lowest and i was dying and having overdoses and all these things and uh, i believe god saved me and uh, that's why i'm here today god bless but norman that motherfucker yes but the, we used to go out dude it would be like what are we doing i said i don't know man Here's my keys. Here's my wallet. I don't know where I'm going to be in about 20 minutes or an hour because I've just drank a case of beer and took a bunch of things. So if you see me, uh, make sure I get home. <laughs> that, was, that was kind of our life for about 10 years. <laughs> it was funny, dude. It was funny. So, it was a lot of fun. So you guys, you guys were pretty tight. You guys for the, the pretty much the whole time that, uh, you, for the first five, six, seven years of uh, of getting over, you guys were really tight, correct? We were closer than brothers. He's the godfather of my daughter. Uh, to say he's my best friend or my brother is not enough. It was it, we were one and the same. We should have been Siamese. It was like that. We were together twenty seven hours a day. And he's it, it was uh, unbreakable. Yeah, he's the nicest guy in the world. God bless him. Um, and I, yeah, I broke. He always, I always post on his Facebook, and he erases everything. He doesn't even <laughs> let people know he knows me. He's so, he's so scared of, of the evil urban legend that will come and cost him his job. Oh, he would tell me stories. Okay, he would tell yeah. me stories, and he'd be like, "Kayfabe," and I'm like, "I don't even know who you're talking about," but it sounds like fun. And uh, but, but my point was is that you know people always want to be you know uh, a rock star, uh, you know a, a, a pinup, you know somebody a girl could get any girl in the world. Justin Bieber, but your point is your point is it comes with a whole different. It's fun, but it comes with a whole different set of problems. So it's interesting to get that perspective. Yeah, it, that perspective. Yeah, yeah. but it wasn't. You know, this is, and I'm glad. I'm so, and forgive me. I'm so glad you touched on it. People don't understand. This wasn't wrestling popularity. This wasn't like you know when 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 a Ric Flair would come to the ring and scream and chop and people were going. This, this was no 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 man. This was rock and roll. This was this was low life in the fast lane. This was the dirt before Motley Crue even became a band. That that's what I can tell you. This was this was hardcore. This was over the top, brother. This was this was 
This was exactly like that movie, The Dirt, just so people could understand. Multiply that by about a thousand, <laughs> and that was our everyday life. And it was out of, there was no limit. There was no laws. I mean, you, you know, we were street kids, thugs who had a little bit of hustle. We had tons of money, tons of power, tons of girls. Tent, we had access to everything. How I'm alive, don't know, but I'm here. That's a, it was out of control, dude. And, and then there was the wrestling. One time, that's that motherfucker magic, Norman Smiley. Um, two things. You ask him about Flock of Seagulls, he'll, t- he'll start laughing and he won't tell you anything. But one time, <laughs> me and him, it was like, brother, I don't want to do this match. He goes, what do you want to do? And I was like, you know, because we, uh, I don't want to say anything because you'll probably get in trouble. But let's just say we were on a different um, dimension because of, of our vitamin intake. Yes, sir. <laughs> we showed up to the arena and I, I told the taxi driver, don't move. Keep the fucking meter running. Stay right here. We left our suitcases in the taxi. We ran in fighting. We went into the ring. We threw a couple punches, pinned them one, two, three. We fought back out and we got in the cab and went home. And there's, and then, and you, <laughs> never, did you get, did you start getting heat with the office or was, was it, were you so over that it didn't, they didn't give a shit? Oh, they hated me. <laughs> That's why I had to start taking Taekwondo and stuff because the guys wanted to kill me. But it was like, Everybody was like to Norman, don't let him die. Make sure he gets here because the amount of money they made off of me being there, yep. you know, their, pay- their payoffs were extremely high, dude. So, oh, yeah, everybody was fighting to, to work against me back then in the day. It was crazy. So I've been doing this podcast for about two years, and we've plugged shaving kits, and I've plugged concert tickets, but never in my life, never did I think that this week I would be plugging my balls. You heard it right. That is not a play on words, ladies and gentlemen. I'm actually plugging my testicles. We're going to talk about my testicles because this week we have a brand new sponsor, and it's Manscaped, who is the number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. So, yes, let's talk about my balls, ladies and gentlemen. I've always been a pretty conservative guy when it comes to below-the-belt type stuff, but I, I do have to tell you that a couple of years ago, I was in the shower, and I saw my wife's uh, razor for, you know, shave her legs, and I thought to myself, oh, you know, I was kind of bored. Let's let's clean up. Let's trim up a little bit. Might as well. Let's see what happens. Maybe the wife will dig it. Who knows? About five minutes later... I'm have a cut and blood flowing out of a place where you do not want, if you're a man, to have a cut and blood flowing. And the only thing more horrific than the picture I just painted you, the visual, is the pain that I was in. And I decided that I am never, ever thinking about doing anything below the belt again. But it's a great thing that somebody was thinking about it, and that somebody is Manscaped. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Hear that? That's Manscaped's Lawnmower 2.0, and that is their solution to what happened with me and having to use a razor. It's a proprietary skin-safe technology, a trimmer that won't nick or snag your nuts. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. Thank God that was brutal. And don't use the same trimmers on your face as you're using on your balls because that's just gross. 
I'll tell you one other thing. Manscaped also has crop preserver, ball deodorant. Yes, I said ball deodorant and moisturizer. I have put some on the past couple of days and it smells a little bit like Old Spice, which I kind of liked. But why not? You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? Folks, I got a little kit from Manscaped, and I went back to work and had a 100,000% better experience than when I tried it myself with a razor. And we have a special offer for City Ringside listeners. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code ringside at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job, and your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code ringside at manscaped.com, R-I-N-G-S-I-D-E at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the promo code ringside. The packet I got was fantastic, totally changed my life, and it will change yours. My balls are now happy. Don't you want your balls to be happy? Everybody's balls should be. Every man's balls should be happy. Make your balls happy. Go to manscaped.com. Use promo code RINGSIDE, get 20% off, and free shipping, and make your balls happy like mine with Manscaped. You had uh, heat with Conan at about that time. How did that, you know, he was the other uh, non-Mexican uh, uh, who, who came in with a unique look and got over. Uh, I'm not comparing you guys. I'm st- I know your stories are different, but uh, you had a lot of the same uh, crossover appeal. So tell me about uh, you know the, the stuff with Conan. I know I think that you put it under, you've you've buried the hatchet, but uh, but tell me about how well, that was. They made a movie about us. They made a movie about us. Really? Yeah, Disney did. It was Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> I don't know if you heard about it. But uh, I got to be honest with you. I, I, I don't know where the heat stemmed from. I know we were too young. If you get two young guys and everybody's telling you you're God and everybody's in your ear, Conan said this, Vamp said that, Vamp's dating this girl. Why? It, to me, I, I didn't give a shit. It didn't faze me because I, I was more into trying to be a, a rock and roll musician. I kept trying to quit wrestling and playing a band. Side note, I remember when I took a certain guy who has a cruise coming up and uh, thinks he's a rock star and is now painting his face like I did. I don't want to say any names, though. Um, I remember bringing him to my house one time because we're friends, apparently. And uh, he said, why are you trying to play in a band? That's so bad. Wrestling's your job. And then now he's doing the same thing. But getting back to Vampiro and Conan, um, I'm very grateful for Conan taking the time last year to sit down and talk with me. Um, I can't say we're friends, but we opened up to each other about our insecurities and mental health issues. And uh, we just kind of communicated for the first time after 30 years, like two old friends. And it was probably one of the best moments I had in my career. Uh, We're two different guys. We marched to different drummers. He does his thing. Uh, whatever happened in the past, to me, it doesn't mean a thing because we had that moment to, to have that conversation. And I really would be there for him at the drop of a dime. If he called me today and said, hey, man, I'm, I'm hurting. I need help. Or can, you, can I talk to you? I would be there before he even asked. I mean, it was just one of those things that cleared the air after so much time. And I really analyzed the honesty in his conversation because like me, I, I'm sure 99% of the wrestling business will say I'm an asshole and a dick. I think the other 110 million percent will say the same thing about him. 
but I won't. I mean, I, I to me, uh, we, we're brothers. We went to war together. We've been through things together that most won't understand because growing up young in Mexico with that fame and power, it ruins you. And uh, we kind of came out of it, survived it, and um, we're okay. At least I am anyways. That's good to hear, man. Hey, let me ask you a question. In the heyday, I don't even know if you know the answer to this, but in the heyday, what was the highest offer, if there was one, that a promoter offered you to lose your hair? Uh, I did it twice. No, I know you did it in 2003 after WCW and XWF and, and all that stuff. Um, but, but, but back when in the heyday, when you were, when you were the Beatles, uh, in 1965 for 1966, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, when, it, um, it wasn't, it, it was written in stone that that conversation wasn't even allowed. To, it wasn't going to happen. There wasn't a dollar figure. Really? It was just not going to happen. Yeah. So what I did, uh, one day I just woke up and I was like, fuck this. And, uh, I wanted to quit so bad. And I just, my daughter was one years old and I gave her a pair of clippers and she shaved my head. Oh, how, and how much money did you leave on the table? You think realistically 20 grand, 25 grand? Uh, no, no. 250 maybe. Wow. Do you, now, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Looking back in 2019, do you regret that? No, because I have the pictures of me and my daughter having that moment together. Oh, that's I'll never true. forget her face. And, that's true. Yeah. I, I, I mean, no, I don't regret it. Not at all. Wow. So you came to WCW. Uh, when I was doing my research for the interview, I noticed it was nine months between your first match and coming back. Did you have like a visa issue or something? I had a Conan issue. Uh. <laughs> I I heard it was him. I heard uh, there. Was, I heard a lot of things. I asked him about it. He admitted some things, and um, uh, that was that's when Scott Hall and Kevin Nash were in control of things. And I think that he was in their ear a bit. And I understand it. I understand it totally. And uh, I don't hold it against anybody. I've talked to Kevin Nash about it and Scott Hall about it. They've actually apologized to me. Uh, and, and they said, you know, we weren't, we weren't cool with you back then. And uh, you know what? And I was, I just said, Hey, you know what? Thank you so much for taking the time to even remember me. Um, I, I don't know, you know, and then I remember signing my deal and, uh, I, I asked my wife at the time, you know, do I, do I do this? Because Johnny Ace, I, I did this, the tryout and Terry Taylor said, we want to give you a job. And, but Johnny Ace said, Hey man, uh, we know who you are in Mexico and, and I'm booking for all Japan. And I was like, fuck, I want to go to Japan more than anything. And, uh, but I just had a daughter and, and, you know, or, or my, excuse me, my wife was pregnant. And, uh, I, I just thought this would be the better thing. And I, I, I don't know what happened. And JJ Dillon would call me and he would try to speak, you know, broken English. Like you do to somebody from Japan or <laughs> who do you think doesn't speak the language. And, and I was like, um, what's the matter? And he goes, oh, my God, you speak English. I said, well, yeah, I'm from Canada. He said, well, they told us you're from Mexico and you don't speak English. And, you're... and I said, what the fuck are you talking about? He said, they told us you're real green. I said, dude, I've been doing this for 17 years. I'm not a new guy. <laughs> you you could have taken it. I, I, you you stooge yourself off. You could have taken advantage of it and played it up so that, uh, you know, they, 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 they pretended you didn't know, you understand what they were telling you. Well, like my favorite, one of my, I mean, one of my favorite stories is Nakanishi. Remember Nakanishi, uh, 
Moby. Yeah. He, he and and the, the joke about him was he only he didn't speak English until he got to the strip bar after the matches, and then he could talk to anybody. <laughs> well, of course, dude. I mean, but it was that's what, and I didn't understand it, so I kept asking. I said, "Hey, if why are you guys sending me these checks?" And and I said, "Can I at least wrestle independently in Mexico so I can keep my chops up?" And they were like, "Nope, you got to stay home." So you're paying me astronomical amounts of money to do nothing for the next four years. Yeah. When can I come? It's okay. You can come. So they started bringing me and I would just stand there outside the booking office. And I'd be like, um, can I do something? Can I, can I come to the power? Can I do anything? Nope. We don't need you. So then why'd you bring me? So it was like that for like about nine months. So then I said, thank you, Mr. Bischoff. Um, this is my lawyer. He's calling you. Uh, I want to get let go. Um, I, get, I can go to Japan and I'd rather stay in Mexico. And I've even got a phone call from some guys from the WWE, WWF at that time. And uh, I said, I, I've been here for almost a year and I've worked once and you're paying me. And I said, I, I don't feel good. That's not what I do. And he goes like, holy shit, who are you? <laughs> and I said, well, and I, I said, well, this is my name. This is my thing. And then <laughs> he said, okay, I'll be right back. He came back. He tripled my contract. And he said, you start your program with ICP next Monday. And uh, I said, okay. And that's how it happened. <laughs> I was like, this is a place of fucked. <laughs> so tell, talk to me. You got to work with Insane Clown Posse and also work with the Misfits. Uh, how did that come about? And which one did you have the most fun with? Where, or were they both fun? I mean, I was starstruck with the Misfits. Yeah. That, that, cause you know, I grew, I grew up, I used to run away and go see them. Right in New York or wherever, wherever they did, I could, you know, I was like 12, 11 years old. Uh, the misfits were to me were God and, um, ICP, we became like family. We became very good friends. They were fucking idiots in the wrestling world and they ruined my career. Uh, a lot of the times, but there were times, let me tell you on the indie shows and that kind of stuff, shaggy too dope. Violent J is a rock star. And I tell you, he had my back, but shaggy too dope. That motherfucker stood toe-to-toe with the biggest names in this business. And there was just something about doing indie shows with those guys that was off the hook. In WCW, that's when they were kind of at the peak of their fame. And they were like, we had pay-per-view angles and storylines, and they wouldn't show up. And it was like, oh, man. So I got shelved again for six months because they finally – and then Eric left, and then um, Russo came in, and he hated ICP, and it was like – well, we can't do anything with you. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> so that kind of happened. And then uh, the Misfits, it was like they were playing at a bar in Minneapolis, Prince's Bar across the street right. from where we were doing Monday Nitro. So I said, hey, JJ, I got this idea. <laughs> he goes, what now? And I was like, I got my, my, my friends from high school that are playing in across the street, and they're in a band, and they kind of look like vampires and stuff. And I said, it would be really cool if we, they're kind of famous, you know, Metallica plays their songs and stuff. And JJ, uh, God bless him. He was like, yeah, 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 whatever, kid. Go get them and bring them over. So I went to the bar and there was the Misfits, 9 a.m., looking like the Misfits. <laughs> and I was like, holy fuck, this is a real deal. So I said, hey, guys, uh, my name is Ian and I'm from Thunder Bay and I'm, I do this character and this and that. And they just looked at me like, what the fuck are you doing here? And I was like, you guys want to come on national TV today with me? And I, I, I told everybody about you and they're waiting for you. And, <laughs> and they were like, are we going to get paid? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course they're going to get paid. 
And uh, they said, well, you can't go looking like that. So they painted my face. And uh, we walked into WCW and everybody was like, what the fuck is he doing now? <laughs> and uh, we debuted that night. That was the start of Vampiro and the Misfits. And that was probably the coolest moment of my life. And that's how it happened, brother. <laughs> Jerry only. I'll never forget. Oh, who can? And it's because of Jerry only. You remember when Steve Williams kicked his ass and Jerry only just was like, I love Jerry. God bless him. You know, Doyle fell in love with Randy's girl and Jerry was an asshole. And I was like, oh, man, I just did it to myself again. <laughs> and that was the end of Vampiro. <laughs> the, the, getting back to ICP and St. Cloud Posse. Um, <laughs> I know they have a reputation for, you know, not being cooperative. And, and, you know, they're living in two worlds. They're living in a world where they're kings and they're ca their own castle. Uh, and it's a huge castle. And then they go in the wrestling world and... I, I would suppose that they and, and I would suppose they probably still want to be kings of the castle, but you know they're not they're not at that level because they're you know they haven't put in the time. You know, old school, you have to put in the time. I say this all because they're they're both really nice guys. They're great guys. They talk you know you talk about you know the fact that they have heat and stuff and and I think like I said I think I know the reason for that is because you know they want they want to be ICP and WCW or ECW and you know uh, you know and and I'm sure that they think that they have a whole group of dedicated fans which I know they do that are going to follow them around and which is why they got a bunch of chances in the wrestling quite business, business quite frankly because they did but well. It's kind of like wrestling is so such a shitty thing, man. I mean, everybody shitted on ICP, but how many wrestlers have gone into other areas, movies or music? You can count them on your hand. So just the fact that they gave it their best on, in their eyes is, is very, very admirable. I mean, whether you like it or not, they main evented pay-per-views, yep. dude. I know I was there. Yeah. And then the same wrestlers who kissed their asses for free merch and to have a picture with these rock stars hated on them because they didn't get booked on all their shows. And I see we, we toured the country for two years doing wrestling in every nook and cranny tat. You couldn't get in. They were over doing their own wrestling promotion. Yeah. And all these sour pusses from WCW who jobbed them out, and then we're begging for work, and ICP was like, fuck y'all. Uh, then everybody hated them because they're dicks. Like, wrestling is so two-faced. You know. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but my point is they're, they, they could have been dicks. They could have legitimately been assholes, and you'd understand it because they're su super over-huge with a, a dedicated group of, of followers. Uh, but they're not. They're two of the nicest guys that I've met my whole time around the business. So uh, that was yeah, dude. That was yeah. my point on that. Um, There's very few guys that I call brother, and uh, those are two of them. I did. Uh, I did the last Legends gathering of the Juggalos show, uh, which was which is I could do a whole podcast about the gathering of the Juggalos show, but um, uh, it's crazy how how I, mean, I know you've been there a bunch of times. It's crazy how many people they get just for you know their own their own gig out in the middle of a field. You know, with comedy tents at, and at, rides and, yeah. you know, food tents and beer tents and wrestling. And, uh, but, but yeah, it was, uh, I got to ride back. The, the shitty part about it was they obviously they start like in the middle of the night. 
So I didn't end until four o'clock in the morning. The cool part was I got to ride oh, back to <laughs> the cool part was I got to ride back to my uh, hotel with the two guys that were in the main event that night, which I had known both of them, but never got to to hang out with them together, which was uh, Roddy Piper and Terry Funk. So oh boy. that's that's a ride I'll always yeah, remember. Ter- that, huh? Me and Terry still talk about that because I had a bottle of vodka. That's a surprise. And me and Terry were doing vodka shots at about 4 a.m. It's one of the only times I ever missed my flight because I called my wife when I got to the hotel. I had like an hour and a half, two hours before I had to be at the airport. And she begged me. She said, don't go to sleep because if you go to sleep, you're missing your flight. And I fell asleep and I missed my flight. So uh we're taping this. Today's my 27th wedding anniversary, so she's still with me, so I, I guess I was all right. Hey, you got to work with Sting. Happy, happy anniversary, brother. Thank you, man. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Uh, you get to, you got to work with Sting and then Sting and Muda. Uh, to me, as somebody who was uh, involved at the time in a little bit of behind-the-scenes talent relations stuff, um, it seemed like they were really starting to get behind you a little bit, and then the company went bye-bye. Do you think if, uh, if, if Eric was able to keep the company and, and, and WCW had continued that you'd have become a major player? Cause I think you're on that road, but I don't know. Only you would know what, you know, there's a lot of politics. Um, like you said, I, when you talk to wrestlers, every single wrestler was the greatest thing that ever happened. And it's a shame. They never got a break. There isn't one wrestler who's going to tell you, any different you talk to anybody and they're the only ones who mattered and all the other opponents sucked actually actually <laughs> so, if you ever want to listen to something interesting you could google i, I did a uh, episode of my podcast with um uh al snow and al snow is the most real guy i ever had and i've had legends and hall of famers and yeah. and, and women and 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 we've had a lot of a lot, we've been honored to have a lot of great people but he was he's like I, I, you know, you, he was, he, he just got it. He's like, they tell you what to do and you go do it and you get paid. It's that simple. It doesn't matter if you're the first match on the yeah. show or the main event. It's just, it was, it was the most honest, refreshing take of somebody in the business. Cause you know, you're right. A lot of the guys, you know, and it's hard in wrestling not to yeah. get full of yourself. Even hey, with the heyday at WCW, yeah. even I got a little full of myself and I was just a ring announcer. So, well, I mean, so, and no, you didn't, man. You were, you were to me. You were super cool. You always no, not with the boys, not with the boys, though, not with the boys, though. But when you're, you know, when you're, when when people are like asking for photos with you and and uh, and and you know want your want your autograph, and I, I, you know way better than I was. You were freaking Elvis for five, seven years. So and and much longer than that. So I can't, you know. But uh, you know, so if I if I if I had that little glo- look when I my. My my, I know what you're trying to say. My my answer to you is this: My first day in WCW, I went up to Lex Luger and I went up to Sting, and I put my hand out and I said, "Hey, it's great to meet you." They didn't shake my hand. They didn't say hello to me. So I was kind of taken aback, and I said, "Okay, okay, I get it. They're probably sick and tired of new jabronis coming up to them and trying to kiss their ass." But I was like, "I've been in this business longer or just as long as they have." And I said, okay, I'll, I'll let that go. I've heard a million times that Sting stopped the storyline, that Sting didn't like it. Uh, I've read it. I've heard it. I've heard him say it. And I will say this. I am so grateful to him. I learned a lot about American wrestling from him. Um, 
I, I just thought it was probably one of the better experiences I had from being with somebody of his credibility. And, and even though he doesn't like me and even though he stopped the angle, I'm so grateful for everything he did. And if I ever saw him again, I would hug him and say, thank you for what you did for me. Great Muda was my ultimate idol. There's a match where I have a singles match with Great Muda and WCW, and I watch it every now and then, and I mirror his moves, his stance, his gestures, his popping, his hand placements. I copied Muda to the T. And to be his tag team partner and then go to All Japan and be his tag team partner and travel with him and have dinner at his house, it was, it was the greatest moment ever in my life. I saw him at WrestleMania weekend. He had an autograph signing and I got in line and I was like telling everybody, don't say anything. Cause I hadn't seen him in like 10 years. And I walked up to him and I said, excuse me, sir, can I have your autograph please? And I gave him a picture of me and him. And he just was, you know, going through the motions. And then I w he gave it back to me and he wasn't even looking up. He was just signing and I stood there and I saw him getting mad. And then he finally looked up to me and I gave him the finger. <laughs> And he started laughing and he, gave, and he gave me a big bear hug and it was, it was so fucking cool, man. It was just, cause I hadn't seen him in like 10 years. So I, I love the guy and he's so cool. And I don't have anything bad to say about anybody. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm not, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not surprised that Luger didn't shake your hand. Uh, but, but because he, you know, he, he'll be the first one to admit he was totally full of himself back then. I'm a little bit surprised to hear that about Sting, but, uh, it was crazy times in WCW and, and it, yeah. everybody, everybody had, you know, there was some, there was, you had to look out because there was, if you were a top guy, if you were a top 20 guy, 20 of the top guys, uh, you know, there are another 20 guys trying to put knives in your back all the time. So, uh, you know, I mean, WCW, this is, this is my memory. And I, I, you know, everybody, I always get heat because of this and I don't give a fuck. The, the two things that y you, that would depress the shit out of you. And, uh, oh yeah. So I was on, I was on track to, to win the belt. They, I won't tell you any names because I'm still actively involved with this person and we've worked it out. But they, Terry Taylor called me on a Sunday night and he said, hey, I want to congratulate you. I said, what? He says, tomorrow night you're winning the belt on Monday Nitro. And I was freaked out. I was like, oh, my God, my time has come. I'm, I'm going to make it. And then I got to Monday Nitro and they said, you know what? Uh, sorry, you can't do it. The person who has the belt doesn't want to drop it to you. He says, you don't have enough name power and it's going to affect his career. And I was like, we're fucking 40-year-old men dressing in tights, taking steroids, pretending to fight. What the fuck is wrong with you guys? So that's just me. But the depressing thing about WCW, and yeah, I said it, and fuck them. And if you guess who it is, yeah, I'll tell you. But you used to get to WCW, and, and please agree with me, because I know you heard the conversation. The only thing that anybody would ever say to you in WCW is, how much are you getting paid? Did you get a new deal? Did you get a raise? Or who has the SOMAs? That was it. And, and you know very well that I'm telling the truth, brother. Oh, I didn't make enough money that anybody gave a fuck, but... Um... I, I, I would always, but am I telling the truth? Yeah, I would always, I'd always tell Johnny Grunge, God rest his soul, what a guy. He would take like thirty somas at a time and pass out. And then he'd wait, he'd sleep for two hours, three hours. He'd wake up and he'd take another twenty. And I was like, why can't you? Why can't you just take like three every half hour and just enjoy a buzz instead of killing your, knocking yourself out, waking up, knocking, and he just he never got with it. God bless him. I spoke at his funeral and uh, and and think the world thought thought. 
the world yeah. to him. But yeah, the Soma thing. Didn't you think it was funny? Huh? Didn't you think it was funny that all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there was 40 guys contracted from Mexico who never worked a fucking match? <laughs> Where did the Somas come from? I was never a drug guy. I never I'm, did. I was always just a drinking guy. So I, I never done a soma in my life. But uh, I, I never actually thought of it. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We'll do the math. You got forty fucking guys from Mexico who worked one match between the two of them, between the forty of them, in, in ten years, and the somas are made in Mexico. But they were there every Monday Nitro, every Thunder, oh, and every pay per view. Never worked, but they were there. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We'll leave it out there. So uh, you're gonna you're gonna be a you're gonna be a big part. You never know who I might want on the podcast. You're gonna you're gonna be a big, a big you're gonna be a big part of the XWF. Uh, actually, you're gonna be, for lack of a better word, our and it's not exact comparison, but sort of our quote unquote sting. Um, did you know at the time that that they were that we were planning on on pushing you to the moon and uh, and how disappointed it, and if at all were you that it didn't work out? I had no clue about anything. Nobody <laughs> told me nothing. I just know that I did one show and I never heard from anybody ever again. Oh, you did a, you did some house shows for us? Yeah, like I don't know, we did I don't know, a couple. Two. But no, nobody told me a thing. Um, but I will tell you I had a, an amazing experience and this is somebody who helped me mature and transition into an agent, writer, producer was uh Sags. Really? He took me aside and he, and he talked to me and he sat me down and he said, try this, explain to me who you are. And, and I was like, holy shit, this is the first time in my life that anybody's ever given me any guidance. So I'll never forget it. And every time I see him, I tell him that story. He doesn't remember, but I do. <laughs> but uh, no, I had no fucking idea you guys were going to push me. Why are you telling me that now? God damn it. Why didn't you tell me that then? Uh, well, I, I think probably so that you wouldn't charge us an arm and a leg. That's what, hap that's what happens. That's what happens when you put a Jew in, t in charge of talent relations. And I can say that because I'm talking about myself. Uh, oh man, well, I'm a, I'm a fucking black belt in Krav Maga. I studied in Tel Aviv, and you're telling me about Jews and money. Come on, man. <laughs> Why didn't you guys push me? God damn it. We were. You were gonna. You're. If we had. If we got picked up, you were gonna be the champion, bro. You're gonna be our sting. Well, sir. So, well, twenty years too late, but thank you. Yeah. I feel good. Well, you know, it didn't work out for any of it. Didn't work <laughs> out for any of us. It was it was a couple. It was a little bit of payday, and uh, and then it all went away. The only thing that's left of it is our memories and the poster I'm looking at hanging in the wall of my what, office. What happened to that? If you can even say, um, I kind of have an idea. Well, a couple things happened. Number Isn't that, that, that dude, that, that that dude from India, right? Yeah. No, a couple things happened. Um, one of the main things that happened was uh, that Vince took a lot of the talent uh, that we had used. Uh, when when Lawler, you know, Tony Schiavone and Jerry Lawler did that were the broadcast team. Lawler had lost his job over something that happened with his wife at the time, Stacy Carter, and WWE, and was desperately trying to get it back. And when they heard he was going to do this XWF because Hulk was involved, uh, they they he came to the tapings and he said, "I'll do the tapings as agreed, but I just signed a deal with WWE. They bringing me back." Well, then they brought Hulk back, and then they brought Gene Okerlund back, and then they brought Bobby Heenan back, and then they brought Kurt Hennig back. And so you start to walk around with a pilot tape of these big names, 
but you don't have the big names under contract because they didn't want to spend the money to put them under long-term contracts without having a TV deal. So I still think we probably could have made it work, but th- then the money guys bailed, and that was the end of that. So yeah, that kind of yeah. So it was a combination of it's a combination of a bunch of stuff, but it, it got me here to Tampa, and I've lived here ever since. So uh, uh, so. You, you you talked about SAGs helping you uh, transfer to a, a producer and Booker, and uh, I know you were doing that for AAA for a while. Are you st- are you still doing that, even though you live in the states, or are you done with uh, creatively with AAA? Um, I've left Mexico because of my health. Right? I mean, AAA is extremely supportive and understanding, uh, but I couldn't be there anymore just because of my history there. Uh, you know, I was, I was extreme AAA and I'm not speaking bad about the company, but just any wrestling company, when you're in a position of, I don't like to say power, but an executive role, the stress, uh, especially being down there and after spending time in Lucha underground and after spending time in Italy and then Puerto Rico and then Japan in an executive role, and then you come to Mexico and it's completely backwards but it works. But you, you, I've matured, grown up. I'm drug free. I'm alcohol free. I'm raising my daughter. Oh, I'm a dad. Blah blah blah. My 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 mentality was different, so it was killing me. So I left, and I'm about to start a project. And uh, you're getting the exclusive, my friend. I love when it. does this come out? Uh, Monday. The Monday. When, Monday. This Monday. Yep. Well, yours truly has. Uh, been invited by this MMA company that is running shows out of the Rio Hotel in Las Vegas. They got a three-year residency. Um, they have an arena built and all this kind of stuff. And they contacted me because they know I'm here because uh, I've got friends in the industry and I'm friends with Frank Mirror and Frank Frank's the color commentary. And they said, you know, you're here. Are you going back to Mexico? And it's not anytime soon because of my health. And they said, are you interested in starting a brand new uh, professional rep, Lucha Libre? Um, promotion using our arena. And I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. Wow. They were like, nope. We want, we want to do this and we want you to run the show. So uh, I'm opening a wrestling school. It starts next Thursday in the Rio Hotel in that arena. And we've got shows booked for the end of this month, October 23rd, 24th, 25th, because there's a Latino Tejano Music Fest in the Rio. There's going to be 15,000 Latinos there. And they were like, can you please put together some shows? Let's see how it goes. If it goes, we've got a deal with CBS Sports, and we want you to be the general director of the company. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I was like, yes. Yeah, that doesn't suck. So, uh, no, it doesn't. So if it works, uh, I, I want it to be uh, everything that, it, that, that Lucha Underground could have been, the WSX, that every, that everything that I've been through. Um, now I have enough experience, I think, that – I can run the show. I can help younger talent coming up. And uh, I've been given the ball. I've got the blessings of AAA, and I'm going to run with it. I'm going to bring guys in from Mexico. Obviously, all of the AAA guys I'll be using. And uh, any independent person that wants that experience to be the stepping stone to get to one of the bigger companies, that's my goal, is to have a place to come and train, work out, learn the ropes. It's a small place, 300 people, 400 people. Uh, Come to the school, do some shows, and if it helps you, grow as a professional wrestler, then I've done my job. 
So that's what I'm doing now. That's awesome, and I wish you the best of luck. Uh, hey, uh, I really appreciate Mel- Mel- Meltzer and all the other jabronis. You know that fucker Dave Meltzer, uh- and uh, I don't know, <laughs> and all the other dirt sheets. I said, hey, I got an announcement. They wouldn't even give me the time of day, brother. So this exclusive is yours. There you go. I, I greatly appreciate it. What we will f- certainly feature it uh, on social media as much as we can. Um, I appreciate your time and, and your brutal honesty. Quite frankly, it was it's a it's been a hell of a ride for you and a lot of ups and a lot of downs. And you're brutally honest about it all. Tell me uh, before we wrap this up. Tell me a little bit about how you got involved with the Guardian Angels and 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 what your what what that's all about. Okay. Well, um, when I was younger, obviously I like anybody else. Uh, I saw the news, and I just, I'll, I'll never forget it. These guys dressed in red berets. The movie The Warriors had yeah. come out. So the, the gangs of New York, that was the urban legend. And I just remember the news. There's these guys that were training martial arts, and they were going down into the subways of New York City and fighting crime. So I was an, an enamored when I was like eight or nine years Curtis old. Curtis Sliwa was when the was guy, coming, right? Curtis Sliwa? He still, yeah, he still is. Oh, it's And uh, I was... When I was, I got divorced and I was like, I could hardly see my kid. My wife, ex-wife wasn't letting me see my daughter. My wrestling career was in shambles because I was a mess because of all the injuries and, and all this stuff. And I was like, I've got to leave a legacy so that my daughter will see that her dad was a good man. So I called Curtis Lewa and I said, hey man, you don't know me. I called the radio station in New York. They put me through and I said, you don't know me. This is who I am, what I've done. And I want to be a guardian angel. And I want to bring the guardian angels to Mexico because I want to keep the streets safe so that when my daughter's growing up, she'll have a safe place to, to live. He said, can you get to New York? And I said, no. <laughs> he said, I'll fly you here, stay here, patrol Brooklyn and the Bronx, learn the system, and you'll be a guardian angel and you can take the project to Mexico. I flew to New York. I met Curtis. Curtis jumped me in. Curtis took me on patrol. We went to the Bronx that night. We, we squared off with uh, Latin Kings, Mara Salvatrucha, all that shit. And uh, I became a guardian angel in New York City. And I took the project to Mexico. I've I've been doing it now close to 20 years. I'm an international liaison. Actually, I'm just coming home. We did a soup kitchen. We cooked, uh, we barbecued some hot dogs and stuff for some homeless kids. We had about 27 kids come out. We did a cleanup. Um, It's 100 degrees here in Las Vegas, but I was out there in the street with my beret and the jacket, everything. I'm just doing my thing, man. And it's the greatest thing in the world. I'm telling you, being a guardian angel, being a role model, being the real deal, uh, influencing kids and getting kids off drugs, giving speeches in youth homes and detention centers and maximum security prisons, um, just helping people. It's fucking awesome. And it's a gift. And I'm blessed. And I'm so thankful that I'm still alive, that I have this opportunity to share my story and to be a positive role model and be a light. That's why this mental health thing and these head injuries and Alzheimer's, it's all bullshit, dude. You're going to fucking die anyways. And if you got injuries and it's like, oh, poor me, no, no, fuck that. I'm still alive. I can breathe. I put my red beret on. My daughter tells me she loves me. I go out onto the world and I fight the good fight. And that's who I am today. Yeah, it's, uh, God bless you, man. It, it's a funny uh, th- thing. I was after we were at the WrestleCon in, in New York and I was staying at that hotel and I went down the block to a diner afterwards to eat with some of the guys. And it was like, is that Vampiro as a, a walking with the Guardian Angels in the Guardian Angels uniform? I'm like, yeah, they're like, what the hell? I'm like, no, that's he's just doing his thing, man. That's his thing. 
they, they nobody. Yeah, no, it's yeah, not like a lot of people don't even out. know. It's, it, it freaked them out. And Jim Cornette was like, is that a shoot? And I said, yes, it is. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it was WrestleMania weekend, and everybody's kissing ass and trying to sell their merch and blowing the promoters so they can get on the shows. And and, I was, and they're like, Vamp, it's fucking raining. It's WrestleMania weekend. What are you doing? I said, I'm going to the Bronx, brother. We're riding the train until 3 a.m. And there's a problem with the, with the gangs, and uh, i got to do what i got to do. And we just went to Central Park. Uh, and then we went to Brooklyn and we did the Bronx. We were on the trains and, uh, that's it, man. <laughs> well, your, your story is, is, is to say your story is interesting is the understatement of the world of the century. Uh, have you ever thought about writing a book? No, because who gives a shit? <laughs> and it's an interesting story, is, quite frankly. Well, I don't want to write a book because, I'm wrapping up a documentary that uh, the Vice Network same is thing. editing and producing. Oh, there you go. Good for you. We've, yeah, well, well, we've been doing it for four years, and uh, it's going to be in – I can't say the festival just yet because they're going to announce it, but we just debuted it in Cannes this year. It got picked up by six other festivals. Um, it's a major thing, and it's my whole career from the beginning to now. It's all over Mexico, Europe, Canada. It's on the streets. It's with gangs. It's this, that. I mean, everybody says, oh, fucking vamps full of shit and you didn't get kidnapped and all that. Well, it's in the movie and it's all right there and you can see it all. So I'm excited for that to come out. And when it does, I'll let you know. I want you to check it out. Yeah, for sure. Basically, it's a lot. Basically what it is, is Vampiro at home in a small town in Canada, raising his daughter, single dad. And then on the weekends, I would go do Lucha Underground or go to Mexico and do AAA and be Vampiro and then come home and be dead. So it's basically a love story. Because my daughter doesn't know about Vampiro. She knows, but she doesn't know. So during the week, I'm dad, homework, breakfast, lunch, dinner, doing laundry, letting my daughter cry about her boyfriend, <laughs> doing homework. And then on the weekend, I go and be Vampiro and then come back home and teach Krav Maga and be a dad. So that's what the movie's about. That's awesome. Let me know when it's uh, available. I'd love to see it. And uh, again, I, amazing story. And uh, just, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm glad we started this uh, this interview talking about you know having uh, uh, beginning state Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, and I'm ending it after talking to you by saying honestly, from the bottom of my heart, I'm glad you're doing well. So, because uh, I, I I know thank you. I know you're doing well. I always got along with you. I always thought you're a fun guy, and. Uh, I appreciate you doing the podcast. And if you ever want to promote anything else, we'll get you back on. We can tell some more stories. Well, I don't want to say too much more that's going to get you in trouble with anybody because I don't care. But thank you. And yes, I've always considered you a friend. And I need to finish this interview by saying something that's very, very important. And I don't care what kind of heat I get. It doesn't matter to me because I hate all of them in wrestling anyways. Uh, what you said today, you said something, and I think it's the most noble thing. And I think that anybody coming up in the business, and this is part of the things I teach in my school, you are a prime example of a winner in my book because it's your 27th anniversary. <laughs> Thank you. And instead, of, you're on a podcast, but that's not why. It's because you're with your partner through thick and thin. And you know very well in our business that doesn't happen. I admire you for that. I wish I could say the same. And you're an example. And I hope that people pay attention that you need to understand the wrestling business is going to pass us by. 
But the person who loves you from day one is the same person who's going to love you in the end. And I admire you for sharing that with us. And thank you. Thank thank you you very much. I have no idea why she's still with me, but uh, I'm I'm blessed every day when I wake up and she hasn't, (laughs) and she's still there. (laughs) uh, That's a shoot. I put that on Facebook today. I said, the best thing about her, I said, she's a wonderful wife and a fantastic mother, but the best thing is she's still here. (laughs) Exactly, dude. Congratulations. I'm not the easiest person. Knows that you love her. I, I, uh, she does know yeah. that very much, and uh, we're going to celebrate tomorrow night. So, hey, uh, thank you. Uh, great stuff, and um, stay in touch, my old friend. Thank you, brother. Want to thank Vampiro for giving me the scoop of his new promotion out in Las Vegas, uh, doing a little Lucha Libre work out there, working with AAA, and uh, a brutally honest, candid interview uh, with him, and uh, he didn't hold anything back. So uh, thank him very much. You know, I guess he has a lot of heat with a lot of guys if you hear him talk about it, but uh, it was always good with him, and he was always good with me. So that's all I could, all I could uh, vouch for is how somebody treats me or my family, and uh, he's always treated me and my family extremely well. So God bless him, and uh, hope his health stays uh, uh, stable, and uh, hope you enjoyed that interview if you did be sure to uh, let me know on twitter at david penzer or at penzer ringside uh again if you don't already please download uh subscribe and uh, leave a review if possible and until next week with another special guest my name is david penzer i'm still sitting ringside follow david penzer on twitter at david penzer also make sure to follow the show on twitter at penzer ringside You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy, radio personalities like Ian Beckles, news and political pundits like independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crochell. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.